question the voices of res and I hear Oh plastics Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Hi, happy December 15th. Happy, happy December 15th. And when our listeners are listening to this, who knows when it'll be? I think it'll it's be January, February. February. February probably. Well, I mean, we're in the new year. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy 2024 <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh man, it is just it's a lovely day. We have a lot to talk about today. Um, we have another, I, I think we have to get uh, Connor Carlin a, like a punch card or a coffee <laughs> or something because he is, he is probably the number one recommender when it comes to um, who to bring on the podcast. And we will, we will give him full credit for that. Yes. Yes. We always get uh, great recommendations for Connor. We're always delighted to talk to people that he recommends. They're always just top, top shelf, top, top shelf. Okay. Yeah, plus top. for Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Connor. So I'm Mercedes Landesri. And I'm Lindsay Neville. And with our powers combined, we are Plastics, the voices of resin. Uh, our podcast is released the first Friday of every month, everywhere you get your podcasts uh, by SPE. And um, always check out the YouTube. Oh, check out the YouTube. Which is, like, we're just talking later. about how none of us are camera ready today. We're so not we camera ready. So maybe just make it an audio kind of episode. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are uh, so pleased to welcome uh, our guest today, uh, Alethea Schaefer, uh, Vice President of Yushiko. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lindsay and Mercedes. Um, I'm so excited to be here. You guys are so much fun. I've listened to your podcast and I'm super excited for the conversation we're going to have today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're, we're honored to be talking to you. So tell us a little bit about uh, Yushiko and uh, your position there. Well, Yushiko was founded in 1961. So we're 60, celebrating 62 years in business this year. Um, started by my grandfather as a metal fabrication company. Um, when one of his customers decided that they wanted to make an easel tray out of plastic, he was like, well, I can do that. Um, and he built his first thermoformer. So that's how we got into plastics. <laughs> he, built, he built his own thermoformer? Yep. Um, you know, just a roll in, um, sheet fed machine. Right. And it would just roll, roll into the oven, roll back out and then manually pull it down over the molds and pull vacuum on it. So he created his first uh, thermoforming machine and we've been in plastics ever since. Um, my grandfather, uh, unfortunately passed away two years ago. Um, but my grandfather or my father now owns the business. Um, and we, keep on expanding, um, which uh, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, and as VP here, I am responsible for the sales and engineering, working directly with the customers on um, helping them with their designs or tweaking their designs to make it manufacturable. Um, and then releasing our projects to the floor and following especially new projects um, through the floor and through the prototyping process. Mm -hmm. And you guys also do injection molding now as well, right? Not just thermal boring. 
We do. Um, so we do we, love injection molding. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we don't give enough love to thermoforming. I will say that. So it's <laughs> nice to have someone who has thermoforming on. <laughs> so, um, a, but like uh, real talk, which, which, which do you prefer? Which is your favorite? Like if you had to, there is only one right answer. <laughs> I will, I will unrecord this episode right now. It's a 50% chance that you get it right. So, <laughs> so I'm uh, working with SPE thermoforming board, which is how I met Connor um, at the Thermoforming Conference in Cleveland. And I was recently recording a video interview for that. And I mentioned that I liked injection molding better. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm a little bit torn. Because um, with injection molding, you have the high tolerance, high precision plastic parts where you're really designing more intricate features. So I enjoy that part about the injection molding. Um, But what has been going on here, which is really exciting, is we moved from sheet fed to introducing roll fed into our business at the end of last year and into this year. Um, So that's been like a two-year project for me. And it's finally, it finally came to fruition this year. And I'm designing a bunch of parts for that machine now. So that's pretty exciting. I get to learn a lot about um, the different stations within the machine and um, what add-ons I can add into it, which is also, um, which is also fun to learn about. Um, so I'm a little bit torn right now between the roll fed and uh, injection molding. <laughs> so for someone who maybe is in injection molding and doesn't know that much about thermoforming, can you just quick go over the difference between roll fed and sheet fed thermoforming? Absolutely. Um, so the sheet fed thermoforming, the material comes in in sheet form. Um, it's typically cut to a specific size that's going to fit into your machine. The material goes into a heater and then comes back out and is vacuumed down onto a um, mold. Um, We have just vacuum forming. Some people have pressure forming as well, which also introduces um, air pressure on the other side of the mold so you can form it faster and with more precision. In roll fed, it uses a roll of material, typically thinner gauge, um, 50 thousands typically or less. And in your uh, everything is in line. So you're pulling the sheet through the heat station and then into the pressure and vacuum forming station. Then typically it goes to a die cutting station where the parts are die cut out. And then it goes to a stacker, which automatically stacks the parts. What's um, So to give you an example of the difference in cycle time, it would be like three minutes for um, a cycle of say six parts and the same, let's say four parts could be made and four parts could be made in a roll fed former. And that would take about 14 seconds for four parts, right? So we're talking like a difference in, in quantity, right? right. Um, typically people who are using sheet fed are doing lower quantities. And with the roll fed, you're typically doing um, you know, thousands of parts, tens of thousands, millions of parts, hopefully, um, when you go into roll fed. So, and if you're talking, you know, thicker gauge for the sheet fed, you're talking more heat required and that whole, so you're, you're never going to win on the 
the sheep bed, I guess. Timing <laughs> wise, I suppose you could win other ways. <laughs> right, right. For timing wise, even the, so that would be a pretty similar thickness, the three minutes versus 14 okay. seconds. Um, wow. That's like a similar thickness. You can kind of go down in thickness on the roll fed. So a little bit because it will form more evenly than just a vacuum formed part. But that's pretty much a the difference between like going from sheet fed to roll fed. And where was I going with that? Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So roll fed versus sheet fed. Thank you. Because some of us are not as well versed in the thermoforming world. Um, yeah. we're, we're not as well versed in the thermoforming world. <laughs> it's us. It's us, us that's us. not yeah. as well versed. <laughs> we had no clue what we were talking about. <laughs> not at first. Now we do. Now, no, we, do. now we're now we do. We're That's the whole reason we have this podcast. It's for us to learn. And It really, it's a very selfish <laughs> podcast. This is just what don't we know and how can we know it? Um, so, you know, you kind of mentioned that your grandpa, like his whole thing was, Someone approached him and said, I need this. And he's like, yeah, I can do that, which love that energy. Love it. Um, <laughs> so you grew up with a family that's, you know, really involved in plastics manufacturing. Can you share some of the experiences or lessons you learned from witnessing your grandfather's mm-hmm. obviously very entrepreneurial spirit um, in this business? Yes, that's a really good question. So in terms of sales, my grandfather was doing a lot of the sales um, up until, you know, he was like 85. <laughs> yeah. Love that. <laughs> and and um, he like rarely said no. So, you know, a customer would come in with something that was outside of the box and he would make it happen. So an example of that was a customer came in and they needed something that probably could have been an extrusion application but he designed a bender, um, a heat bender and made a bender. And so we've been making these parts for our customer for as long as I can remember, probably 15 years, maybe more. And we've carried that into what we currently do. Um, We had a project during um, COVID where we were making dividers for in between um, photo kiosks and the customer came in and with a design with maybe like five parts and we were like, well, we can do it that way, but you know, what would be better is if we made a custom machine that could eliminate a bunch of processes. And then we can do this project with seven people instead of nine people. And, um, and that's what we did. So we designed and made a custom machine to make that happen. Another project recently uh, came in for injection molding (laughs) (laughs) and the customer wanted to ultrasonic weld. And we have done ultrasonic welding in the past. However, it was mostly very crude and this project required like more precision. So we were like, I think we can do it. (laughs) So we went went through the process of figuring it out. Um, We had to buy a new piece of machinery to make it happen um, and learn, you know, what a sonotrode was and um, how does this work and how do you set this machine up? And and we've successfully done that. And we do now um, six different part numbers um, that all use ultrasonic welding. Um, And that's happened in the last year and a half. And something that we talk about a lot on this 
um, show, but we maybe don't explicitly call it out, is designed for manufacturing. And, you know, you mentioned that's now part of your responsibilities. And I think it is, it's a skill I think a lot of people need to employ, but maybe people don't understand the importance of doing it up front. And a lot of these projects you're describing sounds like you guys invest a lot of time into the DFM for these. Can you kind of walk us through the process when somebody comes to you and says like, hey, this is my weird thing. Can you guys make it? Like where where do you start in that process? Well, ideally we would start <laughs> right when the part is being designed. That's the best time to, to start working with our customer. Hopefully we're working with the engineer who's actually making the design changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're asking questions right up front, that's really helpful for us to be able to, to release that to the floor and to quote it easily. It's harder when the part is already designed and mm-hmm. it's, it's still not quite ready for production and we still have to do a couple iterations before we can get the project started. So ideally we're starting in, at that point. Sometimes that doesn't happen until until the project is already designed. And sometimes the design for manufacturing is makes allows you to be able to make the part or not, right? Mm-hmm. So we sometimes we're telling the customer like it just in our process, sometimes it can't be made that way, but maybe in general, in a production um, fashion, it cannot be made that way, right? Sometimes you can 3D print something or you can make a model of right. something. Um, but when it comes to actual high volume production, it's not it's not cost effective or even feasible, especially with injection molding when you, if you have an undercut, let's say, mm-hmm. on the inside of a part that makes things very difficult. So yeah, we like to start that process early. Sometimes it ends up happening after we start making the product, but that makes it a lot harder to make changes because you're talking about tool changes, which are typically right. costly. Hopefully it's in thermoforming specifically, sometimes the changes are just on the CNC side. Um, so those are more easy, easily changed after the part is designed. But we do like to think about the process too of, you know, how is it going to move around our floor in terms of design for manufacturing? When we thermoform it, does it go directly to CNC? And can we pretty much not set the part down? Uh, that's kind of the idea of CNC. And maybe uh, last year we did a project where it got, it was a product that got CNC routed. Then it had inserts put in it, then stickers put on then it was wrapped, then it was boxed. How can we make that process so the part never sits down? Um, I include that in design for manufacturing as well. Like how can we make that a simple process for for the floor to be able to get it done um, efficiently? Now, um, in in preparation for our talk today, um, you know, we, of course, uh, Google stalked you. And, uh, and digging into your background, it looked like you you had worked um, at Yushiko for some of your youth. I mean, maybe not not too young. I don't know. I, I can't assume that you're. <laughs> we, we won't uh, implicate you guys in any but, like child labor. <laughs> like, I mean, it looked like you you worked your way up in the company for for about nine years, I think. And then you went to school. Um, it looked like initially for architecture, doing technical drafting and and design. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So, so how did that initial inclination towards architecture eventually transition towards pursuing mechanical engineering um, masters eventually, right? And and how has this 
uh, shift influenced your your career, especially within the family business? So uh, it's a kind of a funny story. I grew up in the family business as long as I can remember. Um, and not to throw anybody under the bus, mom and dad. Uh, but I remember <laughs> I remember packing boxes as a kid, packing parts in boxes, right? And then I officially started when I was 15, working in the family business uh, on and off, you know, summers and holidays and things like that. And I never wanted to work in the family business <laughs> when I was younger, right? As I I went uh, back to school initially for drafting and design, which I really enjoyed. And um, I thought, wow, I can apply this to architecture, which I also love. Um, but this was around 2008, 2009, um, and architecture jobs were hard to come by. And um, the program for architecture at RPI, which is where I wanted to go, um, was very demanding. And as a lot of us can probably relate, um, I was raising four kids. At the time, oh, well, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Familiar>. yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of women in this field who can uh, who can relate mm-hmm. to that story, right? <laughs> and trying to go back to school, and so I, I was like, I can't do overnights uh, in school. I have to really focus on some, a, a career path that <laughs> is feasible and um, and also has jobs when I get out. <laughs> So uh, I ended up switching to mechanical engineering and um, I had no idea what I was going to do with it, but I was like, well, worst case scenario, I can probably work in some type of architecture with a mechanical um, engineering degree. So I got out and the first job that I got was in um, architectural lighting, which was uh, really fun. I learned a lot in, about SolidWorks at that point, and God bless SolidWorks. <laughs> yeah, love. It's a love hate relationship, but you know, fair, fair, necessary, completely necessary. Um, but I got a lot of like the basic drafting skills that I needed while I was there, um, and got to work on some amazing projects. And that was what kind of got me back into manufacturing. And I never, I never left after that. I thought I would go to architecture, but it never, it never happened. And then I did a little bit of work in precision manufacturing and overseeing large design and builds. Um, and then I saw oversaw a bearing and robotics department that repaired robots for the chip industry. And before I ended up coming back to work at my family's business, <laughs> where I've been since. <laughs> what, so what brought you back? I wasn't happy at my previous employment. And I thought like, you know, for a while, I'll just come back and work here. And when I came back, I was like, wow, this is actually what I was meant to do all along. Oh, wow. <laughs> I hate it when, yeah. the, when those stars line up. <laughs> right. To go out yeah. and get those, those experiences and then realize, oh, okay, this is home. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I, it was definitely surprising that I was going, that I ended up back for me because I thought, oh, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to work in the family business anymore. And, um, but I, I really like it. It's nice to work in a family run business, which I've, both of the other um, companies were both small and I enjoy like the freedom of it. You know, there, um, I have a lot more responsibilities. It's not, it's not too narrow of a scope. So it keeps me interested. There's <laughs> always something to work on. And you guys are located in, in Kingston, New York, right? Correct. Is yep. it as hip as, as I've heard? I've heard it's like 
the new like Williamsburg or something. <laughs> it is it is becoming very hip. A lot of people are moving here. We're in the beautiful Hudson Valley. Um, it's a beautiful area, lots of scenery. And, you know, of course, as a as a kid, I always wanted to get out of here. But now I, I appreciate the area, too. <laughs> so, you know, mechanical engineering, it's a pretty obvious fit for a manufacturing company. But did you ever think, you know, have there been situations where you've come back and thought, oh, Hot damn, that's what I studied in school. Like, I can help you right out. <laughs> Has there ever been, like, unexpected advantages to your degree in your company now? That's an interesting an interesting uh, question. I use less of it than I thought I would. I think the biggest part that I pulled from my degree was how to learn mm-hmm. more than actual concepts when you're in school, you have to just figure it out. And that that's kind of what I do now is, you know, I walk into a project and I might know nothing about it, like ultrasonic welding or inline thermoforming or roll fed thermoforming. And I can walk into a project and be like, okay, I don't know how to do it right now, but I know I can figure it out. It's funny you say that because And I don't know if this is just you and I have very similar thoughts about this, or this is like a, a, I don't want to generalize it and say a woman's approach to engineering, but I've never heard a male like colleague say this before. But when I started, you know, people used to say, oh, you must be so smart. You're in engineering. And I was like, no, I do not consider myself smart. I consider myself a real dummy. But here's the thing. I'm like, what it's teaching me is how to solve problems. It is just taking the way I would fix something and just giving me a process and making and forcing me to look at all the variables and test each one against what I think the outcome will be until I come up with a plan and then test the plan. I'm like, it doesn't feel like I'm learning things. I'm learning how. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard anyone else say that. So that's just like, I I don't. That's that's the same vibes. Yeah. Injection molding. Right. (laughs) Interesting. And I also, I also feel very similarly about, you know, I don't feel uh, smart because I have a mechanical engineering degree, although a lot of people say, you know, oh, wow, you know, and, and, uh, and a degree from RPI. But, you know, when, when you're in these uh, really tough schools for engineering, there are a lot of very smart people who are there, right? Mm -hmm. And they have some people, they have to create tests and problems so that everyone has a chance to uh, excel or, you know, they're giving challenging enough work for everybody. (laughs) So I felt like trying to get through engineering school was definitely a big challenge because of that. And I went from like a straight A student at the local community college to, I'm going to have to be okay with like B's, even a C once in a while. I was going to say, C's get degrees. (laughs) That has been my motto from. (laughs) Right. We actually, we actually gave out our first um, plastic scholarship this year. And one of our criteria was that the student cannot be a a straight A student. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I love that you guys are giving out scholarships. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel like you kind of have to, like going into like a really tough school, kind of um, not lower your expectations, but like understand Mm -hmm. really that there's, it's going to be challenging. I have to say it was like a lot of, uh, 
lot of wine and tears that got me oh. through school. <laughs> right. I actually, on Lindsay's, on Lindsay, is it on your desk now, the Sumitomo? I, yes. uh, she told me about a machine that made her cry, a, a, a press that made her cry when she was in college. So I painted her a nice yes. picture of it. But I love, uh, but I love the Sumitomo. It is a well-documented love now. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, reflecting on uh, Yushiko's journey through 2020, what were the standout moments or pivotal challenges that uh, that defined that COVID era for the company? Well, I think along with everybody else, the first challenge was to determine: should we be open? Or should we be closing, right? We work in the, in the healthcare space, right? And We do, but uh, it was still a, a big question that everybody, you know, even my local friends in manufacturing, we're all, we were all discussing, like, are we, what was the term? Oh, uh, essential? Essential. Essential. Are we essential? <laughs> Which, sorry. Wow. That was, <laughs> that was rough. Yeah, we're, all, we're all trying to repress that. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> are we essential? Which, uh at first, it was a question mark, but then we realized that some of our products are in laboratory equipment that you know could be used for even testing for COVID. So that was a big challenge at first, and then we realized you know our business dropped over thirty percent uh, when business is closed, and we had products sitting on our floor that wasn't going to ship. So the next thing was, well, we don't have really enough work for people, and we're probably going to have to cut everybody's hours so we don't have to let anyone go. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> oh wow. So we we had an announcement like we're cutting everybody's hours next week. And uh that was on a Wednesday. And on Thursday I came back in and I was so upset. I was like, Dad, we have to do something. What would grandpa want us to do? Like he would want us to try to help. Um, my grandfather fought in World War II. Um, you know, he loved our country, did everything he could, and was very into health equipment. And I was like, Dad, we're gonna make face shields. Um, so we came in the next day and we designed a face shield and started selling it on, um, our website and on Facebook. Then by the next day I had orders. Um, and so I was like, never mind. We're not actually cutting. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I'm like trying to like low key, like keep it in. Please nobody go to the video, but (laughs) don't watch again. This is a YouTube version. That's amazing. Um, no, but, and it also speaks to, I mean, this is like the nature of a family business. It, it, it creates that atmosphere or can, you know, help build that atmosphere of caring so deeply about your team. Right. Definitely. And that's a lot of our team here was very grateful to be working and that we didn't have to cut anybody's hours. And we ended up, um, because we designed this face shield and I was marketing it on LinkedIn and everything a competitor of ours was like, Hey, I have a huge order for face shields. They were an injection molding company. Um, (laughs) And they were like, can you help us fulfill this order? And I I was like, absolutely. So we teamed up with a competitor of ours to help them complete an order. We brought in one of our customers to also help us complete the order. And we brought in two, what we termed remote interns from a local school who are working at home and helping us make face shields as well. So the collaboration that happened during COVID to all work toward the greater good um, was absolutely phenomenal. And that's the one, the one of the main things that I've really taken to heart. I said, if there was, I'm like, with everything 
that was so horrible going on. I was like, I just need one thing to come out of this that is positive. And I'm very adamant about making sure that we keep those relationships strong um, and have a good support system and network um, with our competitors, our vendors, and other like manufacturers locally, because that's really what helped pull us through through that really tough time. And I'll forever be grateful for those who did help us. The other thing is more practical, let's say practical application is um, about stocking materials. (laughs) 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 So we learned too, that we're, you know, very susceptible to, you know, a supply chain issue, Mm -hmm. not just us, but everyone. And I think we learned that lesson pretty hard during COVID as well. So that's something else that I like to keep in mind, not that we try to stock a lot of materials, but, you know, that was a, um, an eye-opening part of what happened during COVID. In addition to the face shields, we also ended up making barriers for the local community. So COVID allowed, it, allowed us to expand into our local community more than we've ever done before. People were like, oh my goodness, we didn't know we had manufacturing here (laughs) or plastic manufacturing right in our backyard. Here you guys are. So that was another positive that ended up coming out of it as well. Yeah, I love that. I know um, there was a group of manufacturers in Massachusetts that they were, you know, they kind of opened up this forum of like, okay, do you have CAD files for this? Or, you know, so everybody could share those and they would keep people up to date on like, hey, there's we have extra, you know, whatever. Does anybody need this material? Or um, I thought that was a really nice. If you have to <laughs> if you have to be in it, it's a nice outcome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are a lot of nice stories. Like The industrial design community did the same thing. But we do have to mention the uh, the shady. I heard it, it was like one of the rare times I heard like plastics news on the radio uh, was uh, somebody had been had been hawking these. I guess because there was a shortage of test tubes, and somebody had been hawking like uh, preforms like for blow molding as <laughs> as these like medical grade test tubes. I was like, oh man, blow molding. Wow. Yeah. That's that's not quite the story we want as a feel good <laughs> plastic story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so respecting obviously confidentiality, can you give us like a general overview of some of the projects you're working on, involved in, especially like process oriented? Like you know, you're talking, you're moving to the to the roll fed and so the sheep fed, and how these new initiatives really contribute to the growth of Sheepgo. Yeah, sure. So for the roll fed projects, we're working on um, designing a a part that holds gel that needed to be very cheap so that it could be pretty much, it would be used for a few weeks and then um, needs to be recycled. So it needs to be a recyclable material it's it needs to have access from multiple sides and i at first thought injection molding as we all do <laughs> <laughs> um but after i ran some quote numbers i realized that if i made you know uh an injection mold for so let's say two up or maybe four up i could run probably 
eight or 16 up, maybe I would say probably eight up in the roll fed former. And it would be a fraction of the cost of roll fed. Um, and both design, they would be completely different designs, right? One, mm -hmm. the uh, injection molded part could have extra features and could have been easier to, to make or and not require assembly. But if I did it in the roll fed, then I could get it done much uh, better. They would stack better and unfortunately would require a little bit of assembly afterwards, but it would be much easier to ship for the customer and then uh, also recyclable and use less material. So I think that's an advantage of having both under one roof, which is very unusual. It's very unusual to have all three of those operations under one roof, um, but that's one of the advantages of being able to do that. And um, so this project will eventually, we'll be making about half a million a year of these parts. Um, so that's a big project that we're working on right now. We're also working on a few new projects where we're designing pretty large like thermoform part that will pretty much expand our customers customer base <laughs> so they'll have more more opportunities um, with this design and we team up with um, another local uh, manufacturer who is really great with solidworks much better than me <laughs> to do the design work and we're working through prototyping that for our customer right now. Um, so when possible, we try to team up with other um, engineers, both locally, and we work with somebody out in the Midwest. So we have, uh, it's not just me <laughs> doing the engineering work here, which is great. And our customer gets to have the advantage of multiple different um, engineers working on a project, depending on what the project is. So even for a small business, we're able to, have because of that network that I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. um, we have a bunch of, of people who can, who can help out with these projects. So, you know, these are just like two, two of the many projects we have that we're working on right now, but hopefully it will continue to help us expand our business. We've been um, consistently growing um, for the last six years since I've been back here and are excited. Uh, I'm excited to see what projects come in next year that I've quoted this year. I'm just not expecting to see them until next year. But I, I think we're going to be getting uh, a new project for our roll-fed machine, which will be uh, millions of parts per year, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Wow. Um, so considering the dynamic nature of the plastics industry, how do you stay innovative and adaptive why, in your role while upholding the legacy of the family business? I mean, it sounds yeah. like your grandfather was made yeah. of an adaptive guy to begin with. Right? Yeah. Be like your grandfather while thinking of your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it it is like absolutely part of what I think about on a daily basis is what would grandpa do or, you know, uh, grandpa would, would definitely say yes to this. <laughs> also, I think one of the big things to stay innovative is to be at the SPE shows um, and to go to different um, trade shows and see what's out there, um, see what's new, learn from other people who are going through similar struggles and what did they do. And then we, one of the other things that I like to do is work with students so we work with a couple of schools locally and, and the students have great ideas about how to be innovative. 
I just watched a presentation from a local high school where they're using the new video game goggles VR to create training videos for internships. Fun. Right. So I got to put the goggles on and and see what they what they created and watch uh, a, another intern being trained. So there's you know they're thinking even more technologically advanced on on like some of the marketing side and you know HR and training. But I think the biggest thing are is going to trade shows and going to even other competitors shops and doing tours and seeing what other people are doing how are they being innovative i think that's that's a really you know people say trade shows a lot but i think they say it more as like we got to go to trade shows show people what we're doing so we can showcase how we are and the fact that you're kind of flipping it on its head and saying like well i'm going there to like learn from other people and see what other people's doing you know i think that's a really smart um approach to trade shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was the SPE thermoforming trade show that we that I just went to was really informative. We uh, did a true cost of thermoforming forum with four uh, business owners or uh, VPs. And the discussion was so candid and open. And, you know, people were seemed like they were on the edge of their seat, like listening, because, you know, the same struggles that other people are having, or you're having, other people are probably having. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people have like, just different ways of approaching the problem that could spark something that you might want to look into in your own business, which is great. And so one last question before we close this party down. What are your personal aspirations for the further diversification or expansion of your company um, in the upcoming years? So I always wonder if we should be diversifying any more than we already are. <laughs> <laughs> Just add in a couple extra. Like you already did quite a, quite a bit. And you did right. you know, create a new machine. Like. <laughs> <laughs> a new process. That's what it is. Yeah. So, uh, but one of the things that I'm looking at doing in the near future is adding a knockout station into our roll fed machine. So typically we don't have that Uh, right now. We don't have that. And I'm looking to see if that might work well for some of our future projects that I'm working on. And also we're looking at expanding the building because we are pretty much maxed out on the capacity on our floor. So if we do need to invest in a new piece of equipment, which I expect we will, um, (laughs) we don't have room for it. So uh, hopefully the building, at least if we're working on the building expansion, we will be able to accommodate, you know, a new injection molding or um, roll fed machine in the future. We can always grab another Simitomo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Alita Schaefer, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Um, it's been a delight. And where, where, uh, where, and when can people expect to see you guys at the next conference or trade show that you guys are going to be at? Oh no, I don't know yet. But twenty twenty four, I have to start scheduling twenty twenty four conferences. <laughs> I I appreciate you both so much. Uh, I love what you're doing here, Lindsay Mercedes. Um, it's been really fun, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear 
on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Oh, plastics.